0: and downwards to the death outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking seated or lying down, free from drowsiness one should sustain this recollection It is instead to be the sublime abiding by not into fit views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into
1: this world. It's, it's been a few months since we've caught up, so it's hopefully you've all been keeping well over the uh, over our winter retreat time. Hopefully you've got lots of meditation in yourselves. Uh, one of the things that um, I'll probably start on is since we, we've been meeting for so many years in this format, it might be kind of cool to recap on some things we've talked about because uh, one of the very interesting things we've come across again and again is the importance of bringing heart and head together, the emotional world and the intellectual world. And part of the reason this is so important in meditation and so fulfilling is because there's a difference between how these two worlds interact. This is one of the interesting things is you know, we often say the heart records everything, that the heart experiences everything. And, you know, whether it's it's very true. In a deeper part of our mind basically is recording everything. It's experiencing everything. And there's a big difference between how we experience and how we think things are. And that can be a big problem. Our heart is basically looking through our eyes and listening through our ears at everything we're doing and everything we're experiencing. And a lot of the times, what it's experiencing is not the same as what we think we're experiencing. And this is kind of one of the examples is that a lot of the time our ego kicks in and we just run off and think, oh, this is the best thing ever. And it turns out that actually it wasn't, you know, it turned out to be a really bad idea. And this incoherence, so to speak, this difference between the two is a constant problem that goes on and on and on because deep down we're aware of what's going on in our own lives. We're aware of what's going on inside ourselves and yet we're continually following these old agendas, these old habit patterns, these old uh, desires and everything else. We're just running into these things because we think they're going to work. We really believe they're going to work or we think they're going to give us happiness. We think they're going to fulfill us, and yet they're never going to fulfill us. And this is one of the interesting things about the meditation practices. The more we meditate, the more we see these two different sides of our mind, but also how they interact. And this is where it starts to get more and more fulfilling as a meditator, because we can start to choose which path we follow, how we live in the world. And that's really beautiful. So there's a lot of really good examples of, of this because the, the issue is, is that all the experiences we have, we often interpret them differently from how the heart does. So we might be told off by some, you know, our parent might tell us, you know, oh, you have to do your homework, you have to be a good kid, you have to be kind to your brother and your sister. And, you know, in here, our heart is interpreting as that, well, yeah, we're being told off, but they're, you know, they mean well, you know, this is good advice. Our ego is sort of saying, I don't like this, who are you to tell me what to do? And it starts its own story. And it launches off into this big thing and there's this big split between the two. Between the ego, between the intellect, between the emotional world, the psychological world, all these things start to separate and they become more and more dysfunctional and more and more antagonistic to each other. And this is a big problem. A lot of the time our agendas and our priorities are not really in line with what's a good, healthy, happy way to live. And we're just following them because we don't know better. You know, we're not necessarily mindful because we're not really in touch with that deeper side. I remember one classic case, this happened a few years ago. It's a real event, so I've tweaked some of the details to um, obscure who it is, but they're not a Buddhist. And the case basically was, this was a person who, a young man who loved his grandmother to bits had a very long relationship with his grand, his grandma. And uh, as she was getting older, all of a sudden, because he had money troubles, part of him wanted her to die so he could have the inheritance. Even though deep down he loved her to bits. And that thought that came into his mind traumatized him because he couldn't correlate the two. From a Buddhist point of view, from a meditative point of view, we can say, oh, that's, Okay, that's just a thought, it's unwholesome. I don't, I don't choose that, I don't follow that, that's nothing to do with me. I don't have to believe in that. And this is a very, very important thing, is that we can choose which thoughts we follow, which feelings we, we follow, because there's so many that just pop up all the time. And many of them have absolutely nothing to do with a good, healthy, beneficial, holistic, whatever word you like to use as a whole a panoply of, of, of juicy words we can use of a good way to live. And yet these old agendas, these old egos, comes out of nowhere with some horrific things and we can't understand why. But the more and more we meditate, the more and more we look deeply, we can understand that not only these things have nothing to do with us, but we don't even need to listen to them. We don't need to follow these unwholesome states of mind that lead us down this path to such misery. And this is one of the interesting things. The more and more we meditate, and the more and more we look at this relationship between the two different states, the more and more we realize some very um, uncomfortable truths is is one way of looking at it. It's not really the best choice of words because depending on how you look at it, they actually are wonderful things to, to realize because they lead us in such a positive direction, but they're very uncomfortable when we first experience them. And one of the first things that we Experience is that we lie to ourselves all the time. We really do live in our own little world which is completely divorced from reality but also, you know, from a, a good way to live, you know, that leads us to such unhappiness. And at the same time, deep down, we really don't like ourselves. Many of us, particularly in the modern world, With all the new advancements in technology and distractions and entertainments and all the things that we can run after, deep down we're incredibly miserable people and we're very, very unhappy. And that's partly why when we start to look at this relationship, we can see that from that unhappiness, we're going out looking for something else. And that something else that we're looking for in many times is a good thing, but the ego hijacks it to, become something unwholesome. So we end up trapped in this loop that we're never gonna find happiness through this. And yet it doesn't have to be this way. This is a wonderful thing about the Dharma practice is that we realize we can change our lives to be something really wonderful and a really wonderful experience to live. We don't have to be trapped by these thoughts. We don't have to be trapped by that young man who loved his grandmother to bits and yet a little part of him wanted her to die. We don't have to be like that because we can recognize that that's just a passing thought, nothing to do with us. We don't have to buy into these things. And so when we practice meditation more, and particularly other elements of the Dharma practice start to become more relevant. They start to become more beautiful because the heart itself lacks confidence. It's not very happy with itself because it's never being listened to. And the intellect isn't being listened to together. That's why it's so important to bring these two together so they can correlate each other so much better. And when they work together, there's so much benefit. And so a lot of things we do all of a sudden, they aren't just little things we do to be a good little Buddhist. All of a sudden, keeping precepts become an incredibly beautiful way to live because it makes our heart so much happier. It trusts us more, it feels more confident it feels that it can be within its you know we can be within our own skin comfortably so to speak because a lot of the time our heart and our mind is afraid that we're going to go off and do something random because most of the time that's exactly what we do and so the more we build that good relationship with ourselves through keeping and as well doing all these other things practicing kindness and generosity the heart loves that the mind loves that And it feels so happy to share, to give, to to just be present. It's wonderful to the mind. And the same in the meditation as well. Whether we're doing a mantra, whether we're following the breath, whether we're walking on a path, whether in walking meditation, whatever we're doing, a lot of these meditation practices are very soothing to the mind because they're repetitive, calming. Unfortunately, For the vast majority of meditations taught today, that's not really the emphasis that's put on, (laughs) unfortunately. But when you look at it, relaxing the breath, just breathing in, breathing out. You don't need anything else in the world, but you can be just here in this moment. Is incredibly soothing, and that's so beautiful. And there's so many little things in the Buddhist path that all of a sudden, they become relevant. They make sense. They come together and work really, really well. And this is something which the more and more that you do this, the more and more you get this feedback because you're experiencing, oh, I, this did bring me happiness. I do feel better doing this and I don't feel good when I do this and I don't feel better when I do this. And you can choose between the two on your own terms. So it no longer becomes something that, you know, some monk or some nun sits here and tells you what to do. It becomes your own journey. It becomes your own experience of how to live, which is really, you know, know, the more and more you do it, the more and more it just sort of seems that this is the best way to go. But of course, it's one of those things that's, you know, it's very easy to say that. (laughs) Not so easy to do at the beginning. And that's where it becomes even more Important to understand these things to talk about these things because at the beginning it is a lot more difficult at the beginning when you start to meditate You'll find that your mind is going to do its darndest to get away from you It's going to run off into thoughts and feelings and fancies and dreams and fears. It wants to get away from this experience because it doesn't want to be here and This is where we change the context we change the environment so to speak of our mind of our life because all of a sudden it wants to be here with us. It wants to be here in the meditation or just daily life. It has nothing to be afraid of. And this is one of the big, big things. Our mind is really afraid of us as people, of ourselves, right? Not just other people outside and all the, all the stuff that's happening in the world that you read in the newspaper and on the internet, but in ourselves, our mind fears us because it doesn't know what we're gonna do next. We can just go off and do something random and something self-destructive and harmful and something we're gonna regret for the rest of our lives or something that we're gonna do where we're gonna have to look over our shoulders for the rest of our lives. And this is the thing, it never needed to be that way. There is a choice and it's coming from that choice. We need to be confident in ourselves but also experienced in ourselves to see firstly that it's there, but also that we can make it, that we can choose how to live. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to go and be a monk or a nun or anything like that. Yeah, that's helpful for some people. For some, it isn't. For some, they end up going backwards as monks and nuns because they end up following ego trip even more. They build up their identity even more and try to protect themselves even more to push off the world. And so it can be a backwards thing It's all about understanding what you really need. And that's where it becomes even more interesting, because as you see, each time that you do this, the more and more it becomes relevant, the more and more it becomes real, the more and more you realize that you can do this. And so when we're meditating, when we're doing our ordinary practice, all these things fit together. By doing kindness and generosity to ourselves and to others, by leading a healthy life, by leading a mindful life, we start to see how all this fits together. Because it's always been that way. This isn't some magic pot of gold at the end of the rainbow where we have to travel to some distant world to get some happy ever after. It was always here. And it was always in you. The happiness that we're all looking for was always inside of us. This is one of my favorite parts of the Buddha's narrative. You know after his years as an ascetic, you know, pushing himself, torturing himself, starving himself, doing all these things of which the early Buddhist texts go into in quite some detail, uh, it is that critical moment where nearly starving himself to death, he had that memory as a child under a tree. not a care in the world. Happy. All that joy was already there. And that joy that was already there led to some very deep meditation under that tree, under the rose apple tree. And he remembered that, and he could bring that in to the moment because he realized as an ascetic, all he was really doing was waging war on himself, trying to control, trying to force the mind to submit, trying to force the body to behave, trying to force everything to come together To be immune and empowered and all these words which people are chasing. And yet the answer was always inside of us. And that was such a huge changing point in the story of the Buddha's life and why it's still told today. Unfortunately, many people, they look at it the wrong way. They start to argue about the relevance of what that meditation was, how important is it. Yeah, the meditation was, the jhana is incredibly important, yes, but... It's that kindness, that joy, that happiness as a little kid under a tree, not a care in the world. He didn't need, as a little kid, to go off and torture himself to find happiness or to get this or have that. He already had that happiness. And this is the thing to understand. You have it too. See, this is the thing, you might not realize it yet, but it is in you. And this is where the meditation comes from. We're no longer going away from ourselves. We're no longer trying to get some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, believing that practicing this or doing that is going to somehow make everything all be all right. Because it was always all right. It's coming back to ourselves to say, how are we inside ourselves? Because this is a very interesting thing. When we are just sitting in a comfortable chair in a comfortable place, You know, we're we're relaxed, we're safe, we're happy. But even still, we're moving all the time. We're constantly adjusting our posture, adjusting ourselves to be more comfortable. Because sitting still for too long, even in ordinary circumstances, it can be a few seconds, can be very, very uncomfortable. But what does the mind do, right? The mind doesn't have little arms and legs that it can move to readjust itself. How does the mind react to discomfort, It runs off into thoughts and feelings and fantasies and fears and desires and all that. It runs away, which is kind of a tragedy is that a lot of the time we're so overthinking already, we're so busy and burnt out and tired and fatigued and worn out. And so the only way the mind knows how to deal with that comfort discomfort is to run away and do more of it, run away into more busyness, more distractions, and it doesn't know better. That's the thing. At the heart of the situation, it doesn't know better. And that's where it becomes really amazing. Because by coming closer in the meditation, we can see that we can be more mindful of what's going on. When our mind's running away into thoughts and feelings and going crazy with, I want this or what's happening and da 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 da, look inside yourself and find, you know, how is the state of your mind? How is the state of your body? Maybe you're uncomfortable. Maybe you just need to go for a walk or adjust your posture or something, or relax. And all of a sudden those thoughts disappear. Those concerns disappear. And this is where we start to become more in tune with what's going on and how it's so important. Realistically, why not? You know, in the sense that, what else are we going to do? Just continue doing the same old things, running here, running there, and not knowing any better. And then so many people, of course, are in exactly the same boat, right? So we're going off into, into work or we're going off into school, into town, into, into whatever, surrounded by people who also are trying to find happiness, trying to find some comfort, trying to find some ease, some relief. And they too don't know how to find it. And that creates hostility, it creates conflicts, it creates all kinds of troubles trying to get this, the jealousies, everything else. We're competing all the time, trying to find peace and happiness and fulfillment. And yet, 2,500 years ago, this guy remembered being under a rose apple tree as a kid where he already had that happiness and he didn't need anything else in the world. And that's the thing that all of us have right now. So it's 7.30ish. Shall we move on and dive into some meditation?
2: <laughs> Absolutely wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great. So, everybody, as usual, please stand up. Give yourself a bit of stretch. Adjust your clothes as you need to. And that way you can get yourself a bit more comfy. It's always good to set things up first. Especially after you've been sitting for a while. So, you know, it always helps. Okay, and when we're ready, let's settle into the chair. And then, you can close your eyes. And the first thing we're going to do is to consider how to be more in tune with our experience right now. So we're going to spend a few minutes just relaxing into the chair or however you're sitting, how does it feel? What needs adjusting? What needs settling? There is a sense of, ah, thank you. It's relaxing. This is nice. Ah, finally we can relax. Follow that. See where it leads. Bring that into the picture. There's no need to be in a hurry. This whole process of settling in can take up to five minutes, sometimes longer. But spend the time, see where it goes. now you can settle on your breathing or a mantra or anything you like and see how a repetitive, just watching your breathing can be soothing, calming. Can the mind and the body relax together? your mind runs away and you're lost in thought. Turn back and see is there any discomfort and address that. What is it that you're running away from? At this stage, keep both the mind and the body in your awareness so that you can relax them both together with your breathing, with your mantra or whatever you're using. See how they interact and how you can relax them more. Is there a sense of ease or comfort in yourself, a sense of happiness or a sense of joy? Reach out to that feeling, bring it into the space. And now start to become aware of the room that you're in and fill that room with kindness. Fill that space with joy and happiness. You can imagine it as a light filling the entire space or sending the feeling out. Allow a feeling of kindness to fill the entire room. And then expand that feeling, that light, however the kindness appears to you. Allow it to expand and fill the entire house that you live in or your apartment. And let it include any people in there or any pets or animals. the kindness to expand in any way that you like. And send a wish for happiness and joy and good health and well-being to fill the entire house. and then expand it even further to your neighbors, to your street. See how far you can extend this kindness and this joy. Now imagine it expanding further and further, as far as you can, with a wish for all to be happy. Can you imagine a mind of kindness and joy as vast as the night sky, limitless, And when you're ready, you can open your eyes.
2: Thank you, Venerable Zanpah. Yeah. Lovely meditation. Uh, would you like to continue with your Dharma talk for a while? or well,
1: If there's any questions, we can go on those. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Not much so has changed.
2: have a question they would like to ask. Uh, i could to put it in the chat or unmute yourself and ask it directly. I think people are just slow
1: <laughs> Venerable, so. All right. Set your chairs in the upright position. Please put your tables up and put your seatbelts on. We're coming in for landing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Everybody's starting to land on the earth again. Yep.
3: I have
0: a
4: quick question. Yeah. Thank you. That was wonderful. Um, Most days I'm fine meditating. I don't mind doing it at all, but every once in a while I'll have a day where it's just I will do anything to avoid sitting down and doing it, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Mm
1: -hmm. There can be a lot of reasons. Um, Interestingly, there's kind of a threshold that we have. A lot of the time it's that we enjoy our meditation, everything else, but there's sort of this inner limit that we have that going, yeah, we don't need this right now, I'm not ready for this. And inside it's sending you all these signals that this is not the right time, the right place. And it's, it's fine for that. There's plenty of times when those signals are sort of saying, I'm not really comfortable, I've got things to think about, I'm too busy, or I just don't feel right. And that's okay. The worst thing we should do is force it and sort of say, no, you will sit whether you like it or not. Uh, Because then we set up that bad relationship. We're trying to force the mind and the body into a situation which reinforces that unhappiness that was there all along. And so being a bit more sensitive to that, perhaps walking meditation could work, perhaps just going for a stroll in the park or having a nice cup of tea or even getting out a sketch pad and drawing, Uh, it works. It, or even going out into the kitchen and cooking something nice for dinner so that you can share with people. Something Sometimes you need a bit more joy. There needs to be something that charges up the batteries, so to speak. And that's where the mindfulness comes in, is to look at what does the mind need? Are the batteries flat in some areas? And that's when we can start to adjust. Sometimes we need to be a bit more You know, we can be too isolated, sitting on the meditation cushion and shutting, locking the door and keeping everybody else out. And sometimes what we need is to to be a bit more open to other people at that time. And so we become more in tune with what we need. So the fact that there's times that um, we don't feel like meditating at all is completely natural. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's a good thing. It's sending you a message that let's do something else. However, having said that, it's being mindful to know what that signal's really about, because if we just follow it, we probably will just end up going to the fridge or the pantry and turning on the TV and, you know, then we lose it again. <laughs> so it's all about coming more in touch with, with how you're feeling. Does that kind of help or would you like to expand a bit more? Okay. <laughs>
2: that sounds like it um, has gone well. Uh, Niki, would you like to unmute yourself?
3: Hi, yes, I will. Hi, Afshan. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved your um, analogy about the child. I remember that. I remember playing in the um, very little, playing outside and away from my (laughs) chaotic um, house. I was going to ask you something, because it kind of made my, I then started to think about um, my practice now, so if for, and I So know there's a question I want to ask you, is that, so, for instance, say the first part of my life, there was a lot of abuse and violence in my home, mm-hmm. which led on, you know, I became, um, I was actually a, an addict for a long time, I took a lot of drugs and then I've been clean for 20 years. And then I got into there was a whole process of that. And then I found the Dharma Mm -hmm. maybe six years ago. So I'm 51. Six years ago, I found the Dharma. And through that, so now I I, I understand. I didn't have the thing about about rebirth and karma used to frighten me. I used to feel it was a bit um, punishing. Mm-hmm. Now I understand it, so now I'm very aware of my actions and thoughts and the instant karma and the suffering it causes me, actually. Mm-hmm. So it helps me with the pause. But one of the things is the question, the reason why I'm telling you that is because I think of rebirth and I think, well, if I've become a Buddhist now, Will I become a Buddhist much quicker in the next life because I can't bear... The thought of going through all that again to get to where I am is it's just I can't... And I get really frightened in my meditation. I start getting scared. It's a big thing, is fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
1: uh, my question. It's a very good question. And it's a very big question. One of the fascinating... <laughs> <laughs> one of the fascinating and most useful things... See, the idea of karma and rebirth scares lots of people away. Most Westerns, they don't like to hear it. Most modern people don't like to hear it. How it can be incredibly useful is looking at it saying, what am I calibrating my mind to be? When we look at all these different states of of potential where we could be reborn, whether in the moment or in a future life, what are we training our mind to be? What are we choosing our mind to be? Because the way this karma thing works is very, very interesting. We talked about earlier how The heart sees everything that goes on. And what it's seeing and recording is more an objective experience where what our ego is telling us is a subjective experience, its own agendas and everything else. So it's like that example I mentioned earlier of that young man who had money troubles and although he loved his grandmother to bits, this thought popped up to in his head, this wish that she would die and that traumatized him. But the thing that happens that 's very, very important here is that the heart is then seeing how you react to that thought it creates a whole new thing. Are you following that thought and of course as you know world of television and fiction and Agatha christie's are full of stories of people who did follow that thought, but this is the whole point: what choices are you making if you 're following your own heart, so to speak, following your mind, developing wisdom and compassion and everything else. Certainly you are more likely to be reborn as a Buddhist because that's what you're choosing to be. That's what you're calibrating your mind to be. And that's how it works. All these habit patterns we're forming direct where we're going. There's a famous analogy the Buddha uses that drip by drip, the water pot is filled. And that sort of thing, it doesn't happen all at once. Gradually, 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 you set yourself either a habit pattern or an intention in your mind that this is the best way to live by practicing Dharma, by practicing a good life. And you're naturally inclined towards that. And this is the whole thing. There's many, many stories of when people are passing away and in near-death experiences, where they say that their life flashes before their eyes or something very similar to that. They get a feeling of their life, sort of like a sum total of their entire life and that feeling. And that brings them forward to where they'll be reborn. But if you've been filling your life with beautiful moments, it's very clear what's going to happen because your life has already been moving in a positive direction. And so the fear dissipates because you're developing that confidence in yourself that this is what you want, is a better way to live. At the same time, we look at these past events, the abuses, how not knowing something better can lead us into addictions into, into very miserable states of being. And we can see this is actually useful for us. This is kind of a lesson to say, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be there again. And we take positive steps to change our life so it doesn't happen again. So that's, it, it, that's a short answer to a very big question, but uh, does that, that help or would mm-hmm. is, there, is there more that you'd. Yeah. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah if that's how I think. You're just saying what well, my thoughts lean towards is you've just spoken them out, so it just helps. It just helps. Yeah. It just helps to ask. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: No, it's, it's wonderful to ask and that's the thing, is that it's knowing that you have a choice you can calibrate your mind to what you want it to be you can change your life to what you can want it to be, you know, we can't snap our fingers and become Prime Minister but we can make a whole lot of changes in a much better way so thank you, <laughs> thank, you. Yeah, thank
2: you Yes uh, I have a question in the chat, would you like me to read it for you, Venerable? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, it was inspiring uh, about childhood and uh, the way you mentioned it, Venerable, it took me back to my childhood when I was just so happy as a kid, just reading children's stories every night. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize I get older that joy slowly disappears and is replaced by worldly problems and jobs etc how can I find my way back to the joy mm. in daily and more important bring it into my
1: meditation one of the best ways of doing that is actually in your meditation is to remember that experience so you might for example remember a time where you're at somebody's birthday party when you're a kid surrounded by family enjoying yourself and bring that happiness into that moment And that makes it alive. You can reconnect with it very directly. And the more and more you remember it, the more real that feeling comes in. Because the past is gone, but the feeling is still there. And the ability to experience that happiness is still there. That's really the sum message of of that moment under the rose apple tree of the Bodhisattva's life. He had been torturing himself all all these years, waging war on himself for all these years. And even as an adult, he could find it again. Age is not a barrier. And that is something really wonderful to understand. The problem is, of course, the older we get, the more stuff there is, the more tired we get, the slower we get. And that, unfortunately, is just the way things are. But that doesn't mean that the joy is destroyed. It doesn't mean that it's lost. It is still there, you can still reconnect with it. And so remembering, sometimes even if you have a photo album, is sitting down and flicking through these old photos and remembering those joyous moments, does it make you happy? Can you feel that joy? And start to incorporate that more into your life, have moments of joy more and more and more, and then it becomes more habitually set in your life, more easier to access. It becomes richer and easier, more fulfilling, because then you might have that joy of in the past where, say, of a child at a, birth, at a family birthday party or a fa- family gathering, where everyone's happy and sharing. Then when you're happy and sharing today, it's still there. When you're sharing with your family, when you're sharing with your friends, it's still there. You just have, bring it into a modern context, make it relevant in a modern context and then the more and more you do, the more and more it just fills your life, and that's wonderful. So uh, hope that helps.
2: Uh, thank you, venerable. Is there anybody else who would like to unmute and ask a question?
4: Um. Thank you very much for your talk and your meditation. It's really great. And I really resonated a lot with like, um, following your heart because, um, I think I don't live a very authentic life until recently. I have a habit of like, um, telling other people that I'm fine when I'm not. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, I, 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 I need to toughen up, like, I need to toughen up for most of my life, and I have a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, and I think I gradually find my way to, like, how to say, I, I off work recently, starting to off work recently, and I think that's, that's very good. Um, my question is, like, I, I do meditation almost every day, um, in the past I do it in the morning, but because I changed my job and my job needs me to wake up earlier. So I cannot do it in the morning because it's impossible for me to wake up at seven. It's too too early. And I will do it at night Mm -hmm. before I sleep. But um, some days I find that um, I kind of enjoy it, but um, it sometimes disturb disturb my sleep. I don't know why, but like sometimes I will do it before sleep and then I will feel kind of awake and then I do not sleep that well during the night. And um do you have any advice on how to deal with the problems?
1: Thank you. Um it's what's happened is basically is because you're meditating in the morning and you said in a positive ha- habit pattern, it's been disrupted and you can't really find it again. You're still longing to go back to that morning experience. If it is possible to get a little earlier, that can help. I mean my alarm goes off at 20 past three in the morning. So, you know, I'm up early. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really that early. <laughs> but um, the thing is, is um, if you're meditating in the evening, that's okay. Um, it will take time to re- readjust. The difficulty is, though, is that this is quite common, that when you meditate just before bed, that you will feel more awake, more alert, more energized. Because it's like your batteries have been recharged. Now you feel enlivened and happy and everything else. And then it's like you're expecting yourself to go to sleep and it's like, I don't want to go to sleep. I want to f- I've got this stuff I want to do. So that's uh, that certainly happens. It can can be tricky in this one because our work life is so dominates our time as well as our family life and everything else and the need to be basically pretend to be okay and everything else because Unfortunately, this is something that happens to all of us, is we need to force ourselves to be okay, um, which is sort of the dark side of the modern wellness side, as uh, even Bhante Sajjato talked about this years ago, is that we're forcing ourselves to be well and happy just so we can continue to work and to follow these de- you know very busy lifestyles. Um, so it, finding those moments of time and joy in other ways can start to become really worthwhile, it starts to become more of an adventure, how you can find in your own way what makes you happy. Because uh, uh, really, if you have any opportunity of sneaking out for say 15 minutes and catching a short meditation during the day, that is well worth it. But gradually, gradually, it does change. It's sort of, it's, it won't happen overnight when you've just sort of changed a habit pattern, when you've changed a routine, It will feel sort of unsettled for a while, but that's okay. This actually gives you material to work with and sort of material to practice kindness to and to be more sensitive to yourself in the moment. So it can ultimately be very rewarding. It's just how we look at it. So unfortunately, not a great answer, but hopefully you can find, hopefully there's something in it there that can help.
4: Um, Do you meditate before bed?
1: (laughs) um i i don't for largely that reason <laughs> um i i tend to sort of settle in and do some studying or i tidy my room or i do something else to sort of set a routine pattern into to sort of clear the mind in that way and then it's sort of ready for sleep but uh um, i i certainly find that if i meditate if it's been a very very busy day i, I might but for a short bit just to settle down but i, I don't make a ha- uh, make it a thing, <laughs> because it, keep, it will keep me up to way late. <laughs> yeah, thank
2: you. Okay, venerable. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, we have a comment I'd like to read for you, is that okay? Yeah, please. Uh, I appreciate the analogy of how the body can run away, fight, flee, freeze, when stressed and because the mind cannot move physically, it flips from thought to thought. Yeah. So many thanks. Yeah. And another question, uh, how can I enjoy the beautiful childhood memories, but not remain trapped in the past and wishing to live again in the past?
1: Uh, that one involves more wisdom. So this is something that I talked about at the beginning, where we have to bring the heart and the head together. Following the heart is really, really important, but on its own, it's not enough because it can get lost in these past memories that are so wonderful and long to be back there, yearn to be back there. Or if they're very unhappy, miserable memories, then it's terrified and traumatized and is afraid to even breathe, Uh, this happens. So, the wisdom comes in to recognize this is where we are now and to have joy in the present moment by being happy in the present moment. In other words, we've built up a good relationship with ourselves. We're happy to be here in the present moment. So, we can bring in the joys from childhood uh, or even from daily life. If we fill our, our daily life with more joys, we bring those in as well. And then we don't need the past so much anymore. The whole thing, we want the happiness of our childhood because it's what we're missing now. And that's the, the point in the Buddha's story as well. He was waging war on himself as an ascetic. That happiness under the, tr- under the rose apple tree as a child was a complete opposite of what he had devoted his life for several years to do. And it's that switch to see that ah, uh, this is what I was missing. But once he had developed that in himself, he didn't need that childhood memory anymore. It had served its purpose. And that's the beauty of them. They're useful as tools, but the past is gone. And it's all about what we do with the present moment now and how we fill our lives now with quality moments. So I hope that helps.
2: Alright, uh, Sky has uh, her hand up. Sky, would you like to unmute and ask a question? Sure,
0: thing. Um Lovely, lovely Dharma talk. It really struck home. Um, I love the tree image. I was unseen, unhappy as a child, but being able to find happiness and by myself under a tree. Over the pile of rocks, I was mesmerized by uh, nature, and um, uh, I have one quote, uh quote from Arjun Bramali, one that uh, struck me, and I drew it on a big blackboard about a year and a half ago, and it's still on my on my back of my door. I drew a big sunshine with a labyrinth in the middle. And underneath was what Ajahn Brahmali said in one of his talks, that we're all trapped in a labyrinth of misunderstanding. Hmm. And that repeats in my mind, and it helps keep me grounded because I don't feel afraid when I'm uh, getting confused between the heart and the head, Um, because it happens all day long. You know, the thoughts that go through a busy mind are sometimes ridiculously crazy, like that boy. Mm-hmm. I want to know what happened to his mother, grandmother, <laughs> but, um, you know, and how he survived the death of someone he loved so much. Mm-hmm. But the thoughts that can go in your mind are terrifying sometimes, especially if you're agitated and, you know, all the aggregates are against you. Um, But the other thing was, I like the other image, I don't know if it was also Ajahn Brahmari or Ajahn Brahm, is keep the heart warm and the head cool. So Those two things often run in my mind when, when they get confused. And the third thing that brings me real joy is just smiling. Just close your eyes and smile. It just changes all the muscles in my body. So that's just a little tip about, you know, changing your mood. Sometimes it's just a little push-up. Like, I think Ajahn Brahm uses it. Do a little push-up, you know? So just smile, even though you have pain here. If you smile here, It brings some kind of light. It opens the little trap door in the mine where the monkeys are, and it lets some sunshine in. I don't know. Yeah. That's all I want to say. Thank you for really, it was really good to see you today. And uh, getting used to you is just a joy. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Um, With that young man, um, his, his grandmother passed away a few years ago naturally in a nursing home. So uh, um, fortunately, he didn't follow that thought. But unfortunately for him is, because he wasn't a Buddhist, he still hasn't been able to reconcile those thoughts very well. And this is kind of the yeah, this is kind of the tragedy of life, is that um, our mind is full sometimes of this crazy stuff that just pops into our head out of nowhere, and it's horrific. And the thing basically is, is that by seeing them again and again and again, We realize that we don't have to pay any attention to them whatsoever. They have no value to us whatsoever because we have something else. We have happiness inside. And this is a really useful story because this isn't, for this young man, a happy ever after. This is how, and a great example of it shows that if we can't integrate these things, they do continue to haunt us because we believe in them so much. And so part of the Dharma practice is weakening our belief in these thoughts, these crazy ideas, and some things which are grotesque and just pop out of nowhere. It's like, where did that come from? Is that who I am? What does this mean? And it doesn't matter in a slightest. But it's not just for me to say that. It's for you to see for yourself that they don't matter in a slightest, because you don't have to buy into them. And this is where a very, very interesting thing. Also, as you said as well, just smiling does make a big difference because it changes your little mind state. There's a small intention there to smile, (laughs) just to be happy in that moment. And that intention is being enabled in a positive way, and we can grow on that. And so there's lots of examples there where... um, we are for sure trapped in this labyrinth of thoughts because we don't know how to navigate them. This is the whole point in the um, dependent origination. The root of dependent origination is not knowing avijja, And it's not knowing how to navigate these things, not knowing what the Four Noble Truths are, not knowing how all this works. And so by meditating more, by observing the mind more, as well as this positive feedback, we can see that we do have a choice. We can fill our lives with more happy moments. But at the same time, we don't have to be concerned. You know, the unpleasant thoughts are just going to pop in our heads. We don't necessarily know when or where they will come. But we don't have to buy into them. We are, in a sense, in- we're not enslaved to them. And that's the thing. So for that young man, it may take him many, many years. It might take his whole life to be able to come to terms with that deep, haunting feeling inside himself that he wished, for someone he loved very much, to die. And this is something that can haunt him forever. Unfortunately... Not sure, that
0: would haunt me if I, <laughs> if I was overwhelmed by it, I would be haunted forever. But yeah. because I have the uh, fortunate experience of becoming a, a Buddhist practitioner, I realize that every train that comes by, I don't have to jump on anymore.
1: Right. And ex- no. and exactly so. That's the whole point. The, the challenges for many people is getting themselves to that point. Because for a lot of people, a lot of Buddhists in particular, they're constantly meditating to try and control their mind, to make these thoughts go away, to have everything clean and lovely and sanitized so they'll never ever have to experience these things. And many people, it's a, in a sense, it's a, self-defeating strategy, it will never work. And that's the challenge. It needs a shift to sort of say, this stuff is just gonna happen and we don't have to jump on that train. We have millions of thoughts every day and we don't have to buy into all of them. It's what we identify with that's the problem. And the, the issue is on a much, much deeper level is because we don't have that happiness inside ourselves, we don't have that confidence, We don't have that ability to navigate, we don't have the skillful means, and all these many, many things that Buddhist practice is full of. We identify with the first thing we can pick up, and the first thing that's most effective is trauma, is pain, suffering, negativity, I'm a bad person, etc., etc., etc. It will launch onto those things because they're very loud, strong feelings, strong thoughts, and our our mind latches onto them very, very quickly because it doesn't have anything else. And that's the thing. By practicing meditation in a positive way, living a positive life full of generosity and kindness and virtue and all these wonderful things, educating yourselves, uh, all of a sudden, you don't need to buy those things. You don't need to make those things part of your identity because you have something wiser, something more beautiful. And so, uh, um, you know, we literally could be talking about this all night (laughs) because it's a very, very good question. It's a very, very big one as well. But it's always coming back to finding that joy at the same time that this is evidence that the Buddhist path has worked for you. You can see the difference that you could be traumatized if you didn't know how to handle these things. You could latch on to that thought like that young man did, and that could fill your life. It could lead you to do all kinds of horrors in the world. As we, as we see in the newspapers, this is what happens to people. They believe something, and they go off and do it. This is the world. So. Uh... Well, yeah.
2: thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Venerable. Well, would you like to leave us with a blessing this evening?
1: Uh, there's so many blessings. <laughs> so many wonderful blessings. Um, so many to pick from. Let me think. Um, may you all find what you're looking for the happiness inside yourselves. May you be happy. <laughs> may you be healthy. Well, and everything else.